many of you who are tuning in to Wallace, you're not a regular. We're very, very thankful that you've joined us. We're in the middle of a preaching through a New Testament epistle, 1 Peter, it's toward the back of the New Testament. Our text is 1 Peter 2, 4 through 8. I preached through it two weeks ago and promised to return to it because I believe there was more to say, particularly in the phrase in verse 5 about spiritual sacrifices. So I'll read the uh, text for us and then we'll focus on that phrase. This is God's word. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe that, that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. We are all experiencing something in our world, and not least in America, that very few of us have had to endure, and that is we are being forced to sacrifice. We are sacrificing normal life, meeting together, being together, going to work, doing all the normal things we're used to for the sake of staying healthy and avoiding contracting this awful virus, COVID-19. And if you're reading the news, a lot of people are growing weary of being forced to sacrifice. Interestingly, those who follow Jesus are accustomed to the concept of sacrifice, giving up one thing for the greater good of another. Sacrifice is actually at the heart of the Christian faith. When Jesus bids you to follow him and you give your life to him, you give up all to follow him, you're all in. It's with all that I am and all that I have, I am all for your glory, God. If you follow Jesus for any length of time, you know that the Christian life is about sacrifice and not forced. It's actually willing and a delight and a grace God works in those who fall in love with Jesus. So let's explore this in this phrase in verse 5, that we are all in God's holy temple, the church, a priesthood, called to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask four questions of that phrase. First, do you owe God these spiritual sacrifices? Now, you may be thinking, Mike, is that a trick question? Kind of, yes. 
Because the answer is yes and no. Let me explain. Once you receive God's grace and mercy, you inevitably begin to wonder, what do I owe God for this marvelous, breathtaking salvation? Your experience of his kindness, his love, his his saving embrace in Jesus leaves you compelled to respond. We have this impulse in us that when somebody does something good for us, we want to respond. So do you owe God for saving you? The answer is, what do you owe God? The answer is nothing and everything. See, you owe God. God, nothing in terms of religious performance, in terms of the perfection God demands of you, you owe nothing because as Savior, Jesus Christ has given God everything you owe him, more than you ever could. In his absolute perfect obedience to the law of God, Jesus has given a holy God all of the obedience you need to make a claim on the presence of God. And Jesus has offered himself up as a sacrifice in your place, dying on the cross, the death your sins deserved. Jesus has given everything, therefore there's nothing for you to add, and therefore you owe nothing. Christ has paid it all as we sing. Yet... You owe everything because as Lord, Jesus Christ saves you and claims his rightful ownership over your life. You're his precious possession. You belong to him, not to yourself. We receive Jesus as Savior, enjoying all the benefits of his sacrificial death and life for us, we receive Jesus as Lord. You belong to him. You could put it this way. Jesus not only saves you from the penalty of sin as your Savior, he saves you from the, pre- uh, from the power and the tyranny of sin as your Lord. We're going to sing in a moment the wonderful hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And the last thing you're going to sing, I think, captures this. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Because of the surpassing value of Christ's sacrifice for you, you owe God nothing. Your life is marked by sacrifice for him. You owe him everything. You could put it this way. Because you owe nothing, you want to give him everything. Because Christ sacrificed everything to make you acceptable to God, you are now the sacrifice. (laughs) Your life is a sacrifice. Perhaps a bit of context for this uh, chapter in 1 Peter will help us understand this a little bit. Peter's writing to a largely Gentile audience. That means people who haven't had long-term exposure to the Bible and to the way God related to his covenant people in the Old Testament, the Jews. They didn't have that. So when they 
became saved and started studying the Bible and getting their exposure to the Old Testament, those are the only scriptures that they had at the time, major questions would begin to arise in their minds regarding how Judaism relates to the newfound faith in Christianity. How does this book, the Old Testament, relate to the fact that now Jesus has come? And they would see in the Bible, the Old Testament, how important the temple was. This is the most beautiful place in the world. It's a place where God puts his name. God reveals his glory. God dwells. And they're wondering, what's my relationship to the temple? What's my relationship to the sacrifices that were being offered in the temple? What's my relationship to the priest who is offering those sacrifices in the temple? And Peter is showing in this text that the answers to those questions is this. They're all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The temple, its sacrifice, and the priests were a temporary arrangement, a foreshadowing of a greater reality to come in Jesus. Jesus was always going to be the main thing. And so in a preliminary way, God prepared for Jesus through these types, shadows, sacrifices, things that anticipated. Well, the reality is here in Jesus, perhaps like many little streams forming a big river called Jesus. So I think last uh, two weeks ago, we put it this way. Jesus Christ, the superior priest in the superior temple of his body, offers the superior sacrifice for sins to make you perfect and acceptable to God once and for all time. Translated, you owe God nothing. Yet, (laughs) in union with this Jesus, one with this Jesus, we are now a new temple, the church, a spiritual body, a holy priesthood. More about that uh, in next week. That now offers spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, so trick question, what do you owe God? Nothing, everything. Hope that's clear. Second question, how do spiritual sacrifices differ from temple sacrifices? Again, Peter's writing to an audience, largely Gentiles, that are beginning to become familiar with the Bible, and, and do this yourself. Read to the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And you're overwhelmed with how important sacrifice is to the Jewish way of life. So if you're Joe and Julie Israel, you knew about morning and evening sacrifices, national and individual offerings, daily and festival offerings, Sacrifices that were sin offerings, peace offerings, guilt offerings, thank offerings, birth offerings, cereal offerings. Never as a remedy for sin, but as a reminder of sin. So I've given you uh, probably a, a key verse around which that concept turns, and that's Leviticus 17:11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. This idea of atonement and sacrifice, here's what's at the heart of it. 
God longs to be with his people. God deserves an unblemished life. No one can make a claim on the presence of a holy God without being equally holy. How do you solve that problem? Because you realize I can't possibly give God the holiness, the righteousness that is required. A sacrifice, an animal often, that's being killed showed the seriousness of sin. Here's this helpless animal that did nothing, it was unblemished, picturing for us the perfect life of Jesus to come, picturing for us what we owe God to make a claim on his presence, a moral perfection, this unblemished animal is killed. And so the one sacrificing would be struck by the seriousness of sin. Sin brings death. And so someone must die in my place to bring me to God. That someone is Jesus. His sacrifice on the cross transforms, fulfills all the animal sacrifices. That is why Christians today don't offer animal sacrifice. As Jamie read earlier from Hebrews 9, that sacrifice has been once and for all offered in Jesus. So think of the difference then between the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament and Jesus' sacrifice. No animal came willingly. They were unwilling. There was not a sheep in the pasture that stood up and said, hey, Please kill me today as a sacrifice. No. But our Savior stood up on Good Friday and said to his Father, Kill me in the place of my guilty sheep. John reminds us, John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A willing sacrifice. That's one of the reasons why we don't offer our lives to God grudgingly, but willingly thankfully, with joy, not because we're forced, but because we're moved by the sacrifice of Jesus. And then those animals in the Old Testament, as we read earlier, had to be offered continually. God appointed the priests to do that over and over again until the one final sacrifice of Jesus, one time, he's never to be sacrificed again, one sacrifice, one death on the cross, it is finished, Jesus cried when he breathes his last. That was the end of sacrifice for human beings for sin. There it was. Paul brings us out in Romans 3.25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's the language of sacrifice. Our wrath is removed into the body of Jesus with, uh, and, and the guilt of our sin as well. And just reading again for you what we saw earlier in the service from Hebrews 9.24, Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands. Read the temple, Mount Zion in Jerusalem, a physical structure made with hands, which are copies of the true thing. See, that was never the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is in heaven. This is just a copy. Isn't that funny? A tangible thing is a copy of an intangible thing in heaven. <laughs> but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, 
He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Therefore, beloved, our sacrifices are not offered up to get God's acceptance, to earn his approval. They don't make us approved morally. Christ is our approval. That's why Peter says we are offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is enough. Now, how do you know you really get that? How do you know you believe that? How do you know you've been freed from the need to give God a perfect life? You're trusting Jesus. You've been freed from the penalty of your sins. How do you know that? One way to look at it is to ask yourself, where do you place your confidence? Where do you place your assurance that God accepts you? Where's your confidence? There's ultimately really only two places to look, inwardly or outwardly. Here's how you know if your confidence before God is inward. Somebody asks you, are you a Christian? You say, I'm trying. That tells you that the source or basis of your confidence is your performance, you being religion, religious, you trying to do good, you trying to keep yourself out of trouble. Now, accurate introspection should lead you to despair, not confidence. Because accurate introspection with the Holy Spirit using the Word of God, you will realize, I don't have it in me. I've got nothing to offer God. <laughs> That's why the irony of Christianity is to possess everything, you need to have nothing. <laughs> There's nothing in me. <laughs> so healthy introspection, we find ourselves morally bankrupt as we're going to sing after the sermon from Rock of Ages, Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. I've got no righteousness of my own. I need the righteousness of Jesus to be dressed in before God to be acceptable. Helpless fly to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. It's that's what we call finding our confidence outside of ourselves, not inside of ourselves, outside of ourselves. So here's a fancy 50-cent word to describe our faith. Our faith is extraspective, extra outward-looking. Christianity looks outward for the source of your confidence. It is in Jesus, much like a ship trying to chart a safe passage, is looking to the lighthouse on the land, not its own lights for safe passage. Jesus is the lighthouse we look to. We count on that. We count on him. We look outside of ourselves for our, for our hope before God. And this does not produce despair. It produces delight, joy, thankfulness, confidence. I love the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 1. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's why the words that, that give Christians so much confidence, words that are gospel words, are enough. Christ's death and righteousness are enough. Sufficient. Christ is sufficient. It's finished. God is satisfied. There's no condemnation. The debt is paid. So, as we conclude this section, why would you live a sacrificial life for God? He deserves it. You owe it. 
He deserves it. Why would you live sacrificially for God? He deserved it. You are in awe of the magnitude of Christ's suffering and his sacrifice. That moves you to respond in kind, sacrificially. Why do we live sacrificially to God? He deserves it. You're in all the magnitude of Christ's suffering. You're grateful. One of the marks of a Christian who understands the gospel. You're grateful and you're utterly dependent on God's grace for everything. Utterly dependent. Third question. What makes these sacrifices spiritual? Obviously, they're non-material. We don't have cereal offerings anymore, and we don't bring animals to be sacrificed before God. What makes these sacrifices spiritual? I think one of the ways to understand that is they're from the Spirit. They're from the heart. We now worship God in spirit and in truth, as it were. In other words, you're not just going through the motions. It was very easy for Joe and Julie Israel to fall into rote religion. Just go through the motion. Oh, got another sacrifice to offer. Here, take that sheep and go. And not have your heart engaged with the point of it. The point of it is, I'm utterly dependent on God. I need grace. Worship is from the heart. It's not going through the motions. Far be it from us to be condemned with the words of Jesus, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You can honor God with a sacrifice, as it were, but your heart be far from him. Spiritual sacrifices are those that engage the heart. You're not just going through the motions. Now, this comes out in a passage in Matthew 9, where the Pharisees are complaining that Jesus has tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes to luncheons that he attends. They don't like it. The self-righteous don't like it. Matthew 9, 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what, learn what this means. Quoting from Hosea 6, verse 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying you can't show mercy to other people until you yourself have experienced God's mercy. And when you experience God's mercy, you cast yourself upon the Lord for grace. Until you see yourself as desperately sick, replete of your own resources, nothing to give to God. You'll never know how much you need the gospel, and you'll never be moved to show mercy to other people. What does God desire? That because we've experienced his mercy, we show mercy to others. That's a sacrifice we can wrap our hands and hearts around. So what makes these sacrifices spiritual? We're not just going through the motions. They involve the heart. They're out of a heart that's received the mercy of the gospel, and they invariably use our spiritual gifts. One of our forefathers in the faith, one of the reformers, Martin Luther, said this, the priestly garments we adorn are nothing more than the beautiful, divine, various gifts of the Holy Spirit. Luther said our spiritual sacrifices are spiritual gifts, serving Jesus, 
serving one another with our gifts, seeing that this holy spiritual temple is healthy because each member is contributing. Each is a healthy stone connected to the other, bringing to the edification of the body those gifts that has, God has given you when you were converted. That the, the building is only as healthy as the gifts among the stones are being used. So ask yourself, to what gods am I sacrificing that my gifts might not be used to bless the body? The gods of convenience? Gods of comfort? Ambition? Personal pleasure? What a call, what a challenge to find joy, maybe sacrificing time, resources, so that your gifts are making the body stronger. Last question. What are examples of spiritual sacrifices? Thankfully, you get uh, four specific ones named for, for you in the New Testament. The first is praise, Hebrews 13, 15. Through him then, it's always through Christ, always because of Christ, always on the basis of Christ, all confidence in Christ. <laughs> through him then, let us offer let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Now, this isn't actually distinctively new to the New Testament. I believe this is echoing what we read in the Psalms. Psalm 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. The lifting up my hands is the evening sacrifice. So here you have hints that as we express our utter dependence upon God in prayer, as we look to God, praising, thanking, confessing, pleading, communing with God in prayer, that becomes a kind of sacrifice because in sacrifice you're expressing how much you need the Lord and that you are nothing without the Lord and that you are everything by the Lord's grace and the Lord's grace alone. Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. A sacrifice of thanksgiving. What does that mean? It means I'm stopping to acknowledge I'm dependent on the Lord. Everything I have is a gift of grace. <laughs> And to live gratefully changes everything about the way you speak, think, act, spend your money, and treat others. It really does. And then later on in Psalm 50, verse 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. Amazing. We're no longer animals. But see, see what that means. That means you may need to sacrifice time and attention and watching your favorite Netflix to study the works of the Lord, to reflect more on what God has done for you, to have a more grateful heart. One of my wife's favorite verses is Psalm 111.2. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. So it takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy to study the works of the Lord. Maybe there's a sacrifice of time. The fruit of it is thanksgiving and praise because you're seeing God for who he is. <laughs> Seeing more yourself, what you would be without him. Praise is a spiritual sacrifice. Secondly, sharing what you have. 1 John 4, 9 through 11. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The language of sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed for our sins. Beloved, 
if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Of course. The sacrificial DNA of the heart of Jesus when you're saved gets in you by the Holy Spirit. And it's looking for a way to express itself. How? Loving others. Hebrews 13, 16 tells you specifically how. Don't neglect to do good, to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. God shared his son. God gave up his son. I might be called to give up money that I'd rather not part with, time that I'd rather not part with, opportunity I'd rather not part with. We give those things up as a pattern, according to the pattern of Jesus loving us. Paul, when he writes a thank you note to the Philippian church for their financial support of his ministry, writes this in Philippians 4.18. I've received full payment and more. He wanted to let them know. I got the money, guys. The check cleared. (laughs) I'm well supplied, having received the gifts you sent. And here's what he calls those gifts. A fragrant aroma, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Their money they parted with, They forgo buying a new this or a different this or a latest gadget. They gave money, and Paul says that is a pleasing sacrifice to God. Another stellar example, Paul writing to the Corinthians, points out the sacrificial giving, breathtaking, stunning quality of giving of the churches in Macedonia. Let me just read it for you without commentary. It sort of speaks for itself He writes to the Corinthians, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, grace of God, I said I wasn't in the comment, but here I go. Grace of God, code for sacrificial giving. Grace of God, code for sacrificial giving. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Lives, affliction. COVID-19 on steroids, not just social isolation, but being persecuted maybe for belonging to Jesus. Tough, tough lives. And so they had an abundance of joy and extreme poverty, and you shake and bake, put that in the oven. What popped out was wealth of generosity. For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This is one of those verses where you can't believe it was written in the Bible. These are believers begging to put themselves at a financial disadvantage in order to support other Christians, begging for the opportunity. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. I mean, you can never give this way without giving yourself first to the Lord. (laughs) And you do so through the sacrifice of Jesus. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, he should so complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace as well. I, I think it means this. We have to wrestle with the use of our resources. Look, uh, someone who gets a high salary, that's between them and God. Thank God for that. You got a person with a much less lower income over here. Sacrifice is going to look different for those two people. It it just is. That's the way it is in the Lord's economy. But we're all wrestling with what Lord, in terms of time, talent, treasure, whatever, we're wrestling, we're we're living almost constantly with, with, with on edge. Is my life redounding back to your glory in some measure of sacrifice? 
Thirdly, your body. Paul uh, makes a, a fairly sweeping transitional statement in the book of Romans in Romans 12.1 because he's through all his theology as it were. He's going to start to get practical. And here how he, here's his transition verse. I urge you by the mercies of God. Everything he's talked about up until this point in, in Romans. Christ gets the, takes the judgment we deserve. We live by mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. We're saved by his grace. I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. In other words, in light of Jesus saving me, all that I am and all that I have is offered to Christ's service as an act of worship. The word spiritual here is actually the Greek word for reasonable or rational. The rational, reasonable response to the riches of the gospel is all that I am and all that I have is an act of worship to God. Litmus test, everything you do. How is this worship? How is it a response to the glory of God and giving God what he deserves? See, we've got to look at our motives for how we use food, how we use time, how we use sex, how we use drink, clothing, etc. And finally, sacrifice of God, a humble heart. I'm drawing from Psalm 51. Is there ever a man who wanted to build a temple for God? It was King David. He, he didn't, his son did. David writes this towards the end of Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. He writes that from experience because he, he, had, he had engaged in this horrible sin of adultery with Bathsheba, covered up by killing Bathsheba's husband Uriah on the battlefront, and for a season lived without coming to grips with the heinousness of the sin before God until the prophet Nathan confronted him. And, 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 and his heart was broken under the, under, under, under the demands of what we owe God, what God is worthy of, and how our sin is a slap in God's face and the wretchedness of our sin. His heart was broken under the weight of that, that he can't give God what God deserves and we fail miserably to do that. And we own that. Well, there's the contrition. We own that. We're honest about that. I'm a mess. And God says, I don't despise that. That's the, kind, that's the only kind of heart I can say. That's the only kind of heart that's out there. And David was honest about it. So you, you're free to be ruthlessly, brutally honest with God about whatever is in your heart that is contrary to him. Ask God to show you. He will. Search me, O oh God. Know me. Show, show me if there's any hurtful way in me. Perhaps this is one way to sum it up. I've got a verse for you from Ephesians 5, verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us. How did he love us? Gave himself up for us. What is that death on the cross exactly? A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul can never get away. Peter can never get away from the fact that Jesus sacrificed himself for us. This was the ultimate offering. It was incredibly pleasing to his father, an acceptable sacrifice, and that makes us correspondingly equally pleasing to God. Nothing to prove, everything to live for. So here's one way to think about it as I close. What does it mean to live a life offering up spiritual sacrifices? With thankful hands. Thankful because everything I have is a gift of grace. Everything. 
from the beating of my heart, the breath of my lungs, everything I have, have is a gift of grace. With thankful hands and my eyes on Christ, never losing sight of his sacrifice for me, never dodging or ditching the depth of his suffering, with eyes on Christ and his glory, with hope in his resurrection glory, confidence in his reign over all things for me, with open, thankful hands, eyes on Christ, and a heart filled with humility. I don't deserve this. If I had, of all I can give God is my wretched sin, my wretched self-righteousness, and in place of that, you've given me life in Jesus. With open, thankful hands, eyes on Christ, a humble heart, with feet I run quickly to serve others in love the way Jesus loved me. Doing good to them. Loving them. Because I have so much by the sacrifice of Jesus. Let's pray. We're so grateful, not as, not as deeply as we should be, or filled with the praise that we should be, or the humility that we should be, or the obedience that we should be, or the sacrificial offerings that we should be, but we are, Lord Jesus, yours by your precious blood. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Work in us as a body, as your spiritual dwelling, as this new temple. Work in us as a holy priesthood. Spiritual sacrifices that are pleasing to you and good for us and for this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're able, stand. We will respond with this wonderful hymn, Rock of Ages.